on the little DVD. It's entitled Russian Reality. It's just uh, 10 minutes in length, and uh, we should be set here to go in just a moment. It's self-explanatory, and they're turning off the lights to help us here. And uh, if I get this going right here, I'll be all right for some reason. It's not loading here to help me. I'm sorry, just a minute here. We thought we had all this ready to go. Yeah, it keeps going off on me here. All right, let me just see here. Maybe going to come up here in just a moment. There we go. My fault. Always the technician. Here we go. Russian reality. We're going to go right into a Russian service. You can sing along with them because they're singing hallelujah. And there it is. Moscow has more billionaires than any city in the world, yet most Russians are poverty-stricken. The oil boom that fueled Russia's extraordinary growth is over. As energy prices collapse, the nation braces for a less certain future. Russia has vast natural resources and is potentially the wealthiest country in the world, but is spiritually impoverished lacking in faith in the preaching of the gospel. 100 million, 70% of Russians, claim to be Orthodox Christians, yet few attend services regularly. Over 25 million are Muslims, the country's largest religious minority, while only approximately 2 million are Protestants. In other words, there are nearly 15 times as many Muslims as Christians in Russia today. In other Eastern European countries, the disparity is even greater. In spite of this, Protestant churches are generally filled to capacity with people who love the Lord and are totally dedicated to Christ. This is the Church of the Ark, located in Moscow. In a moment, you will hear the congregation as they sing and worship. Then I will speak of my initial meeting with Pastor Sergei Rakoski during my first trip to Russia. Things were very different then. He didn't own a car. He took me in a train out into the forest somewhere. I don't know where we were. If he'd left me there, I'd still be there. But he brought me back. But what a tremendous service. Our ministry is providing the word of God to people in Russia and Europe. At the present time, we're financing a children's Bible for Uzbekistan. One of the most effective ways of reaching Russian people is through the children's Bible. It is one of the most beloved books in Russia and considered by evangelical leaders to be the most strategic tool for evangelism. We have had the privilege of financing tens of thousands of these Bibles. Yet Eastern Europe has a critical shortage of the scriptures. Less than 10% of Russians have a Bible, and the situation is even more severe in some of the former communist bloc countries. Here, Macedonian pastors are ecstatic as they receive Bibles for members of their congregation. Our newest and most challenging project to date is the translation and printing of the first Roma or Gypsy Bible. These Roma people have satellite television, but no Bible. How tragic.
This Bible project commenced in the summer of 2007 and will require considerable time to complete. But what a day of triumph when we present the Roma people with a Bible in their language. North Americans join our evangelistic teams annually, traveling to Russia and Eastern Europe to share their faith, distribute Bibles, and encourage believers. Hear the worship team from Cornerstone Assembly of God in Watertown, New York, minister at the Church of God in Razlog, Bulgaria. This church, located in the poverty-stricken gypsy ghetto of Razlog, vividly illustrates the transforming power of the gospel. A young, God-hating KGB agent founded the church after having received Christ as his Lord and Savior. He had never attended a church service or heard the gospel, but the Holy Spirit spoke to him as he read the scriptures for the first time in his life. Like the Apostle Paul, he was instantly transformed from one of the worst antagonists of the gospel to one of the greatest champions of the cross. This woman didn't know the Lord either. We met her sitting on a bench, alone, seemingly despondent and dejected. Members of our team had the joy of sharing the gospel with her. Parts of Russia and Eastern Europe are relatively modern, but most regions, especially rural areas, lack the conveniences, advantages, and luxuries enjoyed in the Western world. These women washed their clothes utilizing hot spring water from the mountains, employing scrub boards and brushes. Others cleaned rugs in the middle of the street with little fear of cars because there are so few. The extremely popular electronic Wii game is basically unknown. You are more likely to see children beating drums made with plastic cans or bottles. Here children receive gospel literature and gifts of kindness. What an opportunity to share the gospel and love of Christ. Many hands make light work. Their lack of hydraulic equipment is compensated by physical determination, grit, and love. And I am sure the latter is not Home Depot's top of the line. But they are all excited as together they build their house of worship. Prior to our most recent trip, I received an email from one of our pastors, Victor Georgiev of Bulgaria. He informed me that he had recently opened a new church in the city of Sandansky, but had no Bibles. He wrote, Brother Jim, would it be possible for you to provide Bibles for these new believers when you come? Sandansky is located in Bible Macedonia. Once again, the Macedonian call is being heard. Come over and help us. A few weeks later, we arrived in Sandansky and conducted an open-air meeting. Within minutes, hundreds filled the street and sidewalks. When the invitation was given, many responded to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. What a rewarding experience for all who attended. Then we had the thrill of presenting Bibles to believers who had never had a copy of the Scriptures. What excitement! They were ecstatic, jubilant to say the least. There were tears of joy, hugs of gratitude, and words of heartfelt appreciation. We receive emails and letters regularly from overseas. I would like to share excerpts from three of them. From Russia, Dr. Marina of the Institute for Bible Translation in Moscow writes, Thank you for your generous missionary offerings. Missions like yours make it possible for us to publish the children's Bible. From Bulgaria, Pastor Craig Sibthorpe, overseer of Harvest Churches, says, God bless you for caring for us. 
and providing Bibles for all of our churches. And from Macedonia, Pastor Dean Monevsky of Rankovich reports, last year we didn't have one Bible in our church. Now because of your mission, every member of our congregation has a copy of the scriptures. Such accomplishments are only possible because of missionary-minded people. But why should it be that we have so much? And yet, until recent times, churches like Rankovich and Sandansky not even have one copy of the scriptures. Multitudes in Russia and Eastern Europe wait for their Bible. Your participation will enable us to put Bibles into the hands of people who have never had a copy of the Word of God. Every year we have the privilege of taking a number of people with us to uh, Bulgaria and Macedonia, and I see a group from your church pastor goes to the Ukraine most years. You'll notice we had the Assembly of God worship team from Watertown, New York with us uh, just a year ago. Be nice to have you come with some of your worship team sometime and visit us in Bulgaria and Macedonia. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me? We're going to read two verses of Scripture, well-known, Isaiah chapter 55, commencing at verse 10. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God. Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven... And returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Just two months ago, I was in Russia. It was a, an extremely successful trip, but at the same time, it was dastardly cold. I mean, while I was there, they were experiencing a severe Siberian winter. In Moscow, when I was there on the Sunday, it was, well, it had a wind chill of minus 40 degrees. Now, that's cold in any country. Even for a Canadian, that's cold. But the amazing thing is, it didn't affect the crowd that day. I mean, it was amazing because not only was it a capacity crowd as usual, but the walls were lined with people and out the door. It was thrilling. And when you realize that over 90% of these people either had to walk in that weather or take public transit at best, and then to stand for some three and a half hours of service and not complain, most amazing. And then thrilling at the end of the service to see people coming down the aisles to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Can you say amen? amen. It's an amazing day in Russia, because the gospel is being preached. 
Bibles are being distributed, and men and women are coming to Christ as Savior. That wasn't the case a very few years ago. But democracy and life in Russia is very different than it is here in your land. When I came to your country, I simply had my passport in hand, and I gave it to the immigration officer, and he said to me, how long are you going to be in your, our country, and why have you come? And then bid me farewell, and I was on my way, just as simple as that. But when I go to Russia, it's something entirely different, because not only do they want a passport, but they want to have a visa. But before you can get a visa, you must have an official invitation from one of the departments of the government. But to get the invitation, you have to be registered at a hotel, and your accommodation has to be paid for. So first of all, you have to be registered at the hotel. You have to pay for your accommodation. So everybody knows exactly where you're going to stay every night. And then you apply for the invitation from some department of the government. And when you get it in hand, then you apply for your visa. And when you get your visa, they want to know everything about you. Not just the usual, your name and address, phone number, and social security number. But they want to know, have you ever been to Russia before? If you have, how many times have you been to Russia? And what was the last time you were in Russia? Do you know anybody in Russia? Do you have relatives in Russia? Who are you going to visit in Russia? What organizations are you going to be involved with in Russia? Are you going to travel in Russia? How are you going to travel? Where are you going to go? They want to know everything. So that in actuality, even though it's democracy, they really keep their eye on you pretty well and know exactly where you are. Well, I went to Russia just a couple of months ago and uh, I went to immigration, and when I got there, of course, they have you fill out a form in duplicate. One is your entrance, and one is your exit form, and then they stamp it and give you half, and you hold on to the ex exit form. That gets you out of the country. You don't want to lose that, or you may spend the rest of your time in Siberia. Well, I went to the hotel, and you go through another procedure. They want to take a photostat of your passport and a photostat of your visa and a photostat of your exit paper. And then they get all that together and they give you the keys for the room and the keys for the safety deposit box because I'm carrying a lot of money. And I've flown overnight. I've had no sleep. I get up to the 10th floor of, well, something a whole lot less than the Sheraton, I'll tell you that. And uh, anyway, I go to sleep. In the morning, I wake up only to discover I haven't got my exit exit paper. And I think to myself, I'm never going to get to Myra. I'm going to be in Siberia. Well, I called down and uh, I said to them, you didn't give me back my exit paper when you took the photocopy of it. They couldn't understand me. I couldn't understand them. And we had an awful time. I said, my paper that I gave you, I don't have the paper, no paper. Well, they couldn't understand. At last, they said to me, uh, we'll send somebody right up. So I thought, oh, well, that's good. They found the, the paper. And so a few minutes later, a knock came at the door. Now, I don't answer the door in Russia unless I know who it is. But anyway, because they said they'd send somebody right up, I figured it was okay. So I opened the door, expect to seeing one of these delicate little ladies from the registration booth. But instead of that, here was a monstrous housekeeper in green looking at me. I'll tell you, I thought to myself, I don't want to tangle with her. Anyway, I looked at her, and she didn't have the paper in her hand. I said to her, do you have the, the exit paper? She didn't understand what I was saying. I didn't understand her. So, Pastor, we just stood there looking at each other like a couple of dummies. I thought, I don't know what we're going to do here because I'm not going to move. Anyway, she was just like, a, I'll tell you, a, a halfback for a football team, the Russian national football team or something. And that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, she took a leap and away she went between me and the door, headed right for my washroom or toilet. I thought, what is she doing now? And she got in my washroom and she was looking in there and then she was looking back at me and back and forth. I didn't know what was going on. So at last, I moved over to see what she was looking at. And she was looking 
looking at my toilet paper. When I said I didn't have any paper, she thought I didn't have any toilet paper. Well, anyway, I, I, you know, she stood there with her hands on her hips, and, and I know what she was thinking. She was saying, this guy's got three quarters of a roll of, t- roll of to- toilet paper. How much paper does one guy need? Anyway, so we stood there. I went to the phone eventually, and I phoned down, and I said, if there's been a misunderstanding, I'll be right down. Well, that was fine, but she didn't move. She just stood there looking at me. I tell you, I wasn't going to move her. I just left her right there. After a while, she went to the telephone, and she phoned down, and all I heard was da, 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 which was yes, 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 yes. And with that, she hung up, and she took a run out of the room. She never said goodbye. I'm glad you were in our country. She didn't even say, I'm glad you got enough toilet paper. She just took off. Well, anyway, I went downstairs, and I said to them, I don't have my exit visa. And uh, they said, well, we don't have it. I said, well, what are we going to do? Well, they said, the only thing we can do is make a photocopy of the photocopy that we took of the copy. I thought, the, you know, the Russian I'm, immigration, they are so careful, they're never going to accept that. Well, they said, that's all we can do. So I said, all right. So they made a photocopy of the photocopy of the photocopy of the copy, which wasn't too bad, by the way, and gave it to me, except it was a wrong size. So I had to take scissors and cut out carefully. I did it myself. I thought, if I'm going to Siberia, it's going to be me that gets there, not them. And I got it just right shape. And uh, then I spent a few nights uh, a little uh, lacking in sleep because of it all. But then it came time to leave to go home. When I got to immigration, I gave them my passport and my visa and the hotel uh, stamp that I was there. And, And then inside all of it, I put this homemade photocopy of the photocopy of the copy uh, of my exit, hoping it wouldn't be too obvious to them. And then I just stood there waiting and thinking, am I going to Siberia or America? Where am I going? And at last I heard stamp, stamp, stamp. And I knew I was on my way. They said, get out of here. And away I went. And here I am tonight. Praise God. Well, it's not that easy going to Russia. It's a different situation. But let me take you back just for a moment away back in time to 1917 because it was then that the communists moved into the former Soviet Union and took control. And you remember hearing, I'm sure you weren't there in 1917, not too many of you anyway, I don't know, but uh, 1917 when Stalin, or rather, um, Now, who am I trying to say here? Lenin came into power, and he declared, Not a single house of prayer shall remain in the territory of the USSR, and the very concept of God must be eliminated from the minds and the hearts of the people. He was followed by ruthless Stalin, who said, There is no God, and waved his fist in the face of the heavens and the Almighty. During the next 17 years, from next 19 years, from 1917 to 1936, the communists closed 77,500 churches, and they left open only 500 churches. Let me assure you, not one of them was a Pentecostal church. Not one of them was an evangelical church. And it was just a matter of a short time when those 500 were closed. Christianity was illegal in Russia, as were all religions. The Bible was banned, and it was publicly burned. Preachers and Christians, by the millions, lest we forget, were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And believers lived in constant fear of the KGB. It was a horrific time in the history of Russia and the Soviet Union. Seventy years of godless, atheistic communism has had its effect. And it has produced what they refer to as a moral vacuum in the former East Bloc countries. So that today in Russia, in case you don't know, 
40% of all males are alcoholics. The average woman in Russia today has a multiplicity of abortions, some as many as 15. Young people under 16 years of age, 85% of them are involved in hard liquor. And when it comes to suicide, Russia has the highest rate per capita in the world. Russia has some real moral and social problems today. To the extent that the authorities were scrambling around looking for some kind of a solution to their moral dilemma. And they came to a conclusion. Most amazing, if you haven't heard. What has happened to counter this moral vacuum is simply this. The Department of Education and Science, official arms of the government, have adopted the Bible as the textbook and the standard for moral behavior in Russia and Eastern Europe. Can you say amen? amen. That's amazing. At the same time, they have appointed the Kindness Foundation based in Russia to implement this and to promote Christian values and biblical principles in all of their schools, starting with kindergarten, right through to university, and have authorized the teachers to realize that the Bible is the textbook for moral behavior today in Russia and Eastern Europe. And going one step further, they have said, we want you to attempt to place 10 Bibles in every school in the land. And the interesting thing is that the two people that lead this foundation that are responsible for all of this, Dr. Fred Luzenko and his wife, Dr. Olga Luzenko, are not only Russians, but they are born-again, Bible-believing Christians. Praise God. Now, here's the irony of it all. Dr. Fred's father was a gospel preacher. And he was put in prison for preaching the word of God. And now the Russian government has turned around and said to Fred, we want you to be responsible in leading an effort to place 10 Bibles in every school in our land. Can you say praise God? Amen. Just amazing. What does all of this mean? Does it mean that Russia is embracing the Christian gospel? I wish it did. The fact is we have to realize that today, as excited as we are about them being exposed to the scriptures, 90 plus percent of the people have never had a Bible, are totally unaware of the claims of Christ. But let me say this, it is impossible for people to be exposed to the Word of God without being affected by it. Amen? What does the Bible say? We read it a few moments ago. My word shall not return unto me void. And already we are hearing success stories of teachers and students who, who looking at the Word of God are asking the big question, what about this man Jesus and his claims to be the Son of God? Well, Russia needs Bibles, that's for sure. When I was in Moscow just a few days ago, I was at the largest Bible printing house in the country. It's called ITB, simply Institute for Bible Translation. We've worked with them for some 20 years now, and it's been very thrilling. We sat down together and began to talk about the need for the Word of God. And they were sharing again with me how that there are a hundred languages that are now spoken in the new Soviet, merely the name for the former Soviet Union. A hundred languages that don't even have a New Testament. Most of them have absolutely nothing at all. Well, we're working with them, as we have on many projects, uh, on a New Testament called the Bashkir 
New Testament. How many have ever heard of the Bashkir language? I've yet to find anybody in Northern Ireland that is, uh, that is aware of the Bashkir language. You see, there's only two million people thereabouts that speak Bashkir. Well, that doesn't seem very much in way of uh, people speaking any language. But if we put it in perspective and simply said to you tonight that there are less people in Northern Ireland, because there's less than 2 million here, than there are people that speak Bashkir. Can you imagine Northern Ireland not even having a New Testament, never mind a Bible? Why should we have two when they can't even get one? Well, with the help of people just like you, and you have been so kind and supportive of our ministry when we've been here, and we thank you for that. By the end of this year, the translation will be done, and we will begin to print a New Testament in the Bashkir language. Can you say amen? Praise God. You say, well, that's just one language out of a hundred. I realize that. Friends, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And we have to do what God opens the door for us to do. And this opportunity has come, and we're going to print the Bible or the New Testament in Bashkir. But we have a new number of Bible projects that we're involved in. One, of course, being the children's Bible. I'm sure I mentioned this the last time I was here. The children's Bible is the most popular Bible that's ever been printed in Russia. It's printed in various languages spoken in Russia and uh, the former Soviet Union. They claim this Bible is the most strategic tool they have for evangelism. They also tell me that literally thousands of people are coming to Christ through reading the children's Bible. Not only children, but moms and dads and adults. This children's Bible in full color, we're able to print for about seven pounds. The regular Russian Bible, we print it for about the same amount of money, seven pounds. The little New Testament, depending on the language and the country, somewhere between 50p and a pound. And then we have our open Bible. The open Bible is a study Bible for pastors, leaders of the church. It has 700 pages of notes and aids and helps. I've been here a couple of times, and I know that I've shared that with you. For those of you who were present on those occasions, it has an encyclopedic index, and uh, it has a, a concordance in the back, all kinds of helps for pastors and preachers. And when we give this to preachers who really have had no formal Bible training, have had no resource materials... I held a conference the other day, 146 pastors and uh, wives, and asked them how many had a resource, any kind of a resource book, a commentary, a Bible dictionary. Out of 146, four put up their hands. They have nothing. We give them something like this. And so many of them claim it's like a whole library that you're giving us. One book, a library? Friends, when you don't have anything... A book like this is such a blessing and such a help. And uh, we, we are able to print these for $25. We don't sell them here. We don't sell them in America. We don't sell them anywhere. They're not sold. They're just given away because the people that need them can't afford them. And as people like you help us, we provide Bibles like this for pastors and leaders of the church. Well, we work with another ministry in this regard. This is being done in Russian. It's the first full study Bible in Russian. We've now just finished the Bible in Romanian. It's called the Open Bible. Some of you will know it, perhaps even have it this evening. And then we have the Bulgarian done in the New Testament. But beyond all of that, we have the most challenging project to date. We are now in the midst of translating the New Testament into gypsy or Roma. When I see, say gypsy, immediately there flashes on the screens of our mind images of poverty-stricken beggars because there's a lot of them around. Do you know that there's over 300,000 in your country? A lot of them. 
but there is a lot of decent gypsies. And more than that, there's many Bible-believing, born-again Christians that are gypsies. Do you know in Bible Macedonia that Paul visited 2,000 years ago, he heard the Macedonian call. Today in Bible Macedonia, 70% of all evangelicals are gypsies. There's some we're between 10 and 50 million gypsies in the world. There's over a million gypsies in the United States. There's 100,000 in Canada. There's 300,000 in your country. They're everywhere. The fact is, we're not very definitive as to how many there are because many gypsies refuse to be called gypsies because of persecution. So we don't know how many there are, but we know there are millions out there that have never had a Bible in their language, cannot read the language in the country where they exist. They need the Word of God. We've been working on this New Testament now for a number of years, and hopefully by the end of next year, we'll have it done, and then we'll print the Word of God. It's a huge project, but we thank God that He again has opened the door to us and give us some of the finest, the most intelligent and educated people to translate the scriptures. And we thank God. One of the young ladies that has been working on the translation with us has received a full scholarship to Oxford right here in, uh, in England and uh, is going to become a medical doctor. But she has been training and she has been helping us translate the word of God. And that's the kind of people that we have. And in our missionary offering, whatever is given to us this evening will help us in presenting and printing and translating one of these Bibles. And I'll say no more about it. If you want to write a check tonight, you can write it to Marie, M-R-E-E, or to the church, however the pastor would guide you. And I'll say no more, just so you know where the funds are going. Just a little while ago, I was in Bible Macedonia. And uh, we went to a community called Monocanary. Monocanary is a relatively large community, but a small church. Their, their church wouldn't be any larger than half of your auditorium. Far too small for us to have an evangelistic crusade as they asked a one-night stand. So we just picked up the pulpit and moved outside the door and placed it on the sidewalk with our PA system, and we started church. You don't have to have any big promotion over there or advertising. Just go out in the street and start. We started to sing and play a few musical instruments, and before you know it, we had hundreds upon hundreds of people gathered. They gathered across the street on the sidewalk and on the lots and the land and the lawns that were there, and a lot of them were on the street. It was a side street. There weren't many cars. There wasn't really much of a problem. Every once in a while, we had to move, but nevertheless, they were there, hundreds of them, and I had the privilege of sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we came to the conclusion of the message, we gave an invitation for those that wanted to give their lives to Jesus Christ as Savior. And that night, over 100 people walked across the street to our homemade altar on this side of the road on the sidewalk to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Praise God. You say, you mean to say, Jim, that 100 people got converted? I'm really not sure how many got converted. All I know is this. We preached the gospel, and we invited those that wanted to give their lives to Christ to come forward, and they prayed the sinner's prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my life and take control of my being. We'll leave the rest with the Lord. But after the service was over, this is what I want to tell you. I sat down with the pastor. He said to me, Jim, can you help us? He said, we don't have one Bible in our church. He had a Bible, but he was the only one. Have you ever been in a church that has no Bible? How many here don't have a Bible? Everybody has a Bible. Why should it be that everyone in the Moira Pentecostal church has a Bible? 
And no one in the monocanary church has a copy of the scriptures. Well, again, that's what we're all about. What a joy it was to provide the word of God. In October 2009, no member of the church in Monocanary in Bible Macedonia had a Bible. But today, in 2010, every man and every woman that is a part of that congregation has a copy of the word of God. Amen. Praise God. And we rejoice at what God is allowing us to do. Well... We had a a lady with us. She was the pastor's wife from a church in Toronto. And uh, she um, specialized in children's work. So I said before we left, we'll we'll make sure that there's a couple of children's meetings. And so we held one at a place called uh, Microval. And we had a great group of young people. Again, the church was too small. We just had the service outside. They brought temporary benches and chairs and what have you for the children to sit on. And a tremendous response to the appeal. But I noticed that during the children's meeting, there were all kinds of adults that gathered all around the children. Moms and dads and relatives and interested adults and, you know, people that were just curious. And so after the service was over, I instructed all of our people to take New Testaments and go out and give them to all the adults that were there. And you know, friend, there wasn't one adult that refused the word of God, but they all took it eagerly and began to read the scriptures right there. Amazing. If I had given scriptures out in my country, I'd probably find more on the ground than I gave out, but not so in some of these lands. Eager, it's a treasure. What have you received? They want to receive it. They want to read it. The amazing thing to me was that when we left that area two hours later, there were still men leaning up against the walls of buildings near where we had the meeting with the Bible in hand, reading the scriptures. Now, what's the last time you came to town and saw someone on Main Street here reading the word of God? Doesn't happen very often, but it did then. Well, while we were giving out the scriptures, a man came running to us. And he said, the owner of the tavern across the street, the pub, wants to know if he can have a Bible. So what did we do? We hustled right over to the tavern. Now, I don't really go to the tavern, Pastor, but that's what we did that day. And we gave him a Bible. And as soon as we gave him a Bible, some of the others that were sitting there smoking and drinking and whatever, they wanted a Bible. And so what did we do? We gave them all Bibles or New Testaments. uh, And they just treasured them. I mean, they don't throw them around or destroy them. They begin to read them immediately. You say, well, was it the wisest thing to give them a copy of the Scriptures? Listen, friend, what did we read just a few moments ago in Isaiah 55? My word shall not return unto me void. You see, I have a friend who was, who was a KGB agent. He was involved in persecuting the church. He was involved in martyring our brothers and sisters in Christ. He was a bad man. He was in a serious uh, accident, was in hospital, not expected to live. Doctor said if he does live, he'll be a vegetable. He'll never be normal. And someone came into that communist hospital and gave him a copy of the New Testament. In th- there in that weakened condition, dying on a hospital bed, he had enough strength to look and read the Word of God. He told me, he said, Jim, I had never, ever, ever been in a church in my life. Not once. I had never had a Bible in my hand. He said, I never had a Christian anywhere witness to me or tell me about Jesus, not once. He said, I began to read the scriptures. A hardened KGB agent that was responsible for martyring believers, persecuting the church. 
He said, I read just a few verses and all of a sudden I realized there was a God in the heavens that loved me and sent his son to die for me and I gave my life to him right then and there. Praise God. Gloriously saved. Not only that, but he was healed by the power of God. And today, that man is probably the most powerful preacher in all of Bible Macedonia. Or what about Concho? Concho Nettleshev. He was in a penitentiary. He was a bad man. He'd broken the law. He was behind bars. But one day, a Christian happened by and gave Concho a copy of the New Testament. He took the New Testament back into his cell behind bars. There was no Christian. There was no believer. There was no one to help him. But the Holy Spirit of God was there and spoke to the word to his heart. And that night, Concho, behind bars in a penitentiary, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And the short of the story is, Concho Nettleship is a pastor today of our Yakaruta Church. Praise God. I want to tell you, if God is able to reach down to a communist hospital room and reach a KGB agent, if God is able to reach over here behind bars in a penitentiary and through his word lead a uh, concho nettle ship to the Lord, he's able to reach down into a, pa- pa- a tavern or a pub and reach someone with the gospel of Christ. Amen? Praise God. I'll tell you, friend, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord tarries. One of these days you're going to read of a pastor, maybe a flaming evangelist, maybe a Billy Graham type uh, out of that part of the world. And you'll begin to look into his history and his life and he'll say, all I know is someone came to a tavern one day and gave me a copy of the New Testament. And when I read it, I was led to Jesus Christ as Savior. I believe that only eternity will reveal what has been accomplished by our providing of the Scriptures and the Gospel of Christ to those who have never had a copy of the Word of God. Just a little while ago, my, one of my predecessors was telling the story how that when the communists came to her particular community, They ransacked the home of every Christian looking for Bibles. Always amazed me every time I went through the border. They weren't looking for alcohol or drugs. They weren't looking for weapons of war. They were looking for Bibles. Isn't that amazing? And at the end of the day, searching every home, they figured they got every Bible that was there. When the church met on the Sunday There was great gloom in the congregation because there was no Bibles left. Even the pastor, when he got up, he had to tell the story how they came to his house, got his Bible. And then something happened. A little grandmother in the back row stepped out and came right down the center aisle to the front of the church. No one knew what she was doing. She hadn't been invited. Every eye was on her. What was she up to? She had a big purse with her, and she opened it up. And would you believe she took out a well-worn copy of the Word of God? Well, the story was simply this, that when they came to her home, she was in the back room. She knew they were after her most prized possession, her Bible. She thought, they're not going to get my Bible. I'm going to hide it somewhere. And she thought, where can I know, she said. And she put it under her skirt. They never found the Bible. That morning, she took the Bible out, and she opened it up at Genesis chapter 1. You know what she did? She tore out the first page and gave it to the first member. And tore out the second page. Gave it to the second member. And went all around that congregation until everyone had one page of the word of God. 
She was seven years of age at the time, my predecessor. She was sitting on the front row. She tells how that she received Genesis chapter 15. And that's all she had for the next several decades of years. She's about my age. We're both very young. But when I was seven years of age, I was in the city of Toronto, Canada, giving my life to Christ, kneeling at my father's side. And all I have ever known has been Bibles. I can't remember a time since I was converted. I didn't have two Bibles. Bibles and Sunday morning service and Sunday night evangelism. Midweek service, Bible study, prayer meetings, young people's services, Bible college, pastors. I, I've had everything. So most of you. And while I had everything, this little lady had one page of the scripture that she memorized. because That's all she ever had. Why was it that I was born in Canada and she was born in the communist world? But that's past. That's history. Let's fast forward to the present. And let me just share with you what the situation is today. Today we speak 7,000 languages in our world. Can I ask you the question, how many of the 7,000 languages have a full Bible? 400. That's all. 7,000 languages. How many have a New Testament? 1,400. 7,000 languages. How many have the Gospel of Mark? 2,400. Gospel of Mark, translated and printed in more languages than any other portion of Scripture. Very quickly, you can see that over half of the languages of the world don't even have the Gospel of Mark. Now, so there be no misunderstanding, let me add this very quickly. The major languages of the world have the Scriptures. And some language groups that don't have a Bible in their tongue can understand another language and so they can read the Scriptures. But just because there's a Bible that's readable to maybe billions of people, what about the hundreds and hundreds of millions that have no Bible in a language that they can read? What about the hundred languages of the former Soviet Union? Don't understand Russian any longer. Not being taught Russian. They have no Bibles. What about the 10 to 50 million gypsies? They've never had a Bible. Why should it be that there are churches, there are cultural groups, there are language groups, don't have a Bible they can read? Why should we have two when they can't even get one? Let me close this evening by simply sharing this. When I was in Bible Macedonia just a matter of weeks ago now, we had a service at a place called Sandansky. The church there is a year and a half old. A year and a half ago, we were there, and, well, they just opened the church, and they didn't have one Bible. The pastor wrote me, emailed me, and he said, Jim, when you come, I've opened a new church. Over there, pastors, pastor, one, two, three, five, ten churches. They said, I've opened a new church, but we don't have any Bibles in the church. Could you bring some Bibles? Every time I go... We go to churches that don't have Bibles. And so we had the joy a year ago to that church, and so we returned this year, and here it is 12 months later, and the church has doubled in size. I mean, we had a service on Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Now, I cannot think of a worse time to have a gospel service. I mean, if you tried to have a service at Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock in North America, you'd be lucky if you got the pastor out. <laughs> Nobody else would be there, but the place was jammed with people. But the thrilling thing was, right across the front, about 30 rows or 30 seats of young people, 12 to 15 years of age. 
and they listened to every word. I mean, it was really something to see. Particularly, there's a little girl right in front of me, 12 years of age, and she just listened to every word, brother. She just consumed everything I said. She never took her eyes off the speaker. Before the service, I said to the pastor, I want to have a little dramatized or a little illustrated sermon tonight, and I'm going to give away a Bible to illustrate the <laughs> gift of eternal life, how you can have it. It's a gift, but you must receive it. I said, is there a man here that I could give a Bible to that hasn't got a copy of the Scriptures? Oh, he said, there's all kinds of men that don't have a Bible. And so he selected a man over in the left-hand side, that man in black, well, I said, okay, I'll give him a Bible during the service. So when it came to that point in the service where I was talking about giving away a Bible, I said, I have a Bible here. I want to give away to somebody. I wasn't looking at him. And this little girl in front of me, she just came alive. Her hands went out like this. And she began to say, me, 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 me. She didn't speak out loud, audibly. She just was saying, I can read her words, please. I don't have a Bible. Please, can I have a Bible? It, it was, it's extremely emotional. And when I took the Bible, and I wanted to give it to her, but I promised the Bible to this man over here. So what could I do but follow through? And I gave him the Bible. And when I did, this little 12-year-old girl, she just literally collapsed. Her hands went down on her head and her back bent over. And she began to weep. It was extremely emotional. My wife, who wanted to be here so badly but is not very well right now and couldn't be here, she, she's very emotional. And, and my wife started to cry in the background. She said, I've got to give that little girl a copy of the Bible as soon as this service is over. And as soon as the service was over, she took the Bible and she went to the little girl, and she gave her the Bible. And that little girl got so excited, she grabbed the Bible, and she hugged it, and she closed her eyes, and she began to cry. It was moving. And then, when she got rid of that, she looked up at my wife, and she was so excited, she began to jump up and down. Not very refined in the church, but she didn't care. She was so excited. And she said to my wife, she said, I love you. I love you. I love you. You love Jesus, and you've given me a Bible. And then she told her story. She said, I'm the only Christian in my home. My mom and dad and brothers and sisters aren't believers. My uncles and aunts, they're not Christians. I, I, I'm the only one. She said, we've never had a Bible in our home before. This is going to be the first Bible. And then she looked at my wife and she said, I promise you, I will read the Bible every day. What a thrill, friend. How rewarding to be able to give a copy of the scriptures to someone who's so eager, so desirous to have the word, to read the word, to love the word. Might I say that we didn't leave anybody out that night. There was all kinds of people that didn't have Bibles. We gave Bibles to everyone. She wasn't even aware of that at the beginning. What a thrill to share the scriptures. I believe what we read tonight. My word shall not return unto me void. I believe that only eternity will reveal what has been accomplished by our prayers, by our gifts, by our providing the Bible and the gospel to those who have never heard. May God challenge our hearts tonight with missions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we've had to sharing the burden of our hearts with these beautiful believers this evening. We thank you, God, for their interest and their support. I thank you for pastor and his missionary heart and the leadership of this church. But I pray, oh God, tonight that somehow you'll do something in every heart that you would move all of us, Lord, to realize that time is short. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know how long before the Iron Curtain could rise again. 
May we be willing to do our part. Help us, Lord, that we might pray as never before, that we might give. Maybe there's someone that could write a check and buy a hundred Bibles to whom much is given, much is required. Challenge us tonight, Lord, with the great commission, with the command of the Lord Jesus. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. After the service is over, I'll be at the back there with the Bibles, and if you'd like to look at any of the Bibles we have, why, we'd be glad for you to do that, and if you have any questions, we can answer, maybe something you didn't understand that we said, or uh, you have some concern, please ask us, and we'd be glad to share that if we can. There is a little place in there for you to put your name and address if you're interested. Three times a year, we send out a little update on what God is doing in Russia and Eastern Europe. We send quite a number of them to Northern Ireland. If you'd like to receive it, we'll send it to you free of charge. You can be one of our prayer warriors, and we'd be delighted to do that. Pastor, thank you for your friendship, your missionary heart, and for the invitation. And I would say to everyone that's here, when you pray for the world, remember to pray for Russia and Eastern Europe because they need Jesus too. God bless you, Pastor. I don't know about you, but I think that's fantastic just to, just to see the power of the Word of God just by itself and what it can do. It's amazing, isn't it? And I was thinking while Jim was talking there about the, the irony of Russia going back to the Bible to fill the moral vacuum. And Britain has got probably the biggest moral vacuum now in Europe. And they're getting further and further away from the Bible. And they just don't get it, do they? They just don't get it, the reason why we're in such a mess. Well, what we're going to do tonight is uh, the offering tonight, whatever is in the offering tonight is going to go for Bibles, all right? So whatever you're going to give, whatever you're going to do, if it's in the offering tonight, it's going to go to Jim uh, for these Bibles. So we want to bless the work and uh, reach people in places that you and I will, will never, ever go to.